Welcome to the God's Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly. In this episode, we're talking with four men of different ethnicities, ages, and backgrounds who are modeling a radically different approach to one of the most difficult issues facing our generation in the church, racial reconciliation. Instead of approaching reconciliation as a program that seeks to navigate political waters or resolve historical inequities, these four hermanos are unpacking the idea that believers are one in Christ, regardless of our differences and divisions. They have become intentional about pursuing personal relationship as the means of reconciliation, because, in truth, our broken world can only be reconciled one relationship at a time. You'll find their proof of concept in the love, joy, and laughter you hear in this episode. While I will introduce them in the podcast's opening moment, it will help you identify the voices to know that they will speak first in this order. Tito Ruiz, David Park, Chip Sweeney, and Brian White. We hope you'll listen closely and decide to follow their model. Look around for someone God has placed in your circle where you live, work, and play, and strike up a conversation that will give you an opportunity to listen to their story and ask questions to better help you understand what their life is like. Gospel transformation flows naturally through lines of deep friendship. Hey guys, welcome to the show. We've got with me at the table Chip Sweeney from Perimeter Church, Brian White, also from Perimeter Church, uh, Tito Ruiz from Stone Mill over in Lawrenceville, and uh, David Park from Open Table in Chambly. Guys, it, it seems a lot of people are just now getting woke to the problem of ethnic segregation between congregations. I understand y'all are taking a different approach to race relations, uh, what we're calling racial reconciliation now. Talk to me about that. What, what have we been missing? What have we been misunderstanding? And what are you guys doing differently? You know, it's interesting when you said that there's just now people are focusing on relationships for different races and, uh, you know, or, or the focus on um, the segre- racial segregation, uh, I believe is what you said. But I believe, you know, that it's, you know, I don't, I don't think it's now. Uh, what I think it's, uh, it's happening now, it's because of the, uh, the social media is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. More information is coming to us from many, many different angles. Okay. And now, we're, now we have a bigger, a bigger awareness uh, to what is going on. And, uh, and that's why I, why I also think it's very important to uh, what we're doing uh, with this relationship with these four guys uh, from, so, so that we can showcase that uh, all we need is it's a, a willing heart to really live life together and, uh, and getting to know each other. But I think it's, it's not now, it's, 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 it's been going on, but now with the, with, with, with the outgrowing of social media, I think it's, bit, it's getting more evident, I think. Well, and I, I actually am very grateful for social media because these right. issues have been around the whole time, yes. but the sort of public outing of it, whether it's uh, through like Facebook Live or somebody streaming uh, an event or an atrocity or, or uh, a tragedy that happens, it's bringing, 
it's sort of our chickens have come home to roost and now we can see them and sort of at least enter into a dialogue. Hopefully America will get there, but the the social media sometimes can exacerbate and cause us to polarize rather than to actually have a conversation. And the difficult part is, you know, is to actually sit down and have a conversation. And um, I think in the words of, I think it was Oscar uh, Romero, um, he said, you say you love the poor, name them. And I think in, in many cases in America, we're, st we're in the case where you say you love people of a different tribe, name them. Who do you know? What are your relationships like? And that's, I think that's the approach that uh, we've been sort of taking and entering into with one another. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what we're doing is uh, different. Uh, I think it's more intentional. I think just like David and Tito said that um, we really have a foundation of it's all about relationships, certainly our relationship with, with Christ. Horizontally, it's all about a relationship with each other. And you can't have a relationship if, unless we spend time together um, and get to know one another. And I think that is a lot what's been lacking, is that it's easy to talk um, across to each other mm -hmm. until you get into a real friendship and relationship and begin to understand one another such that you can really begin to love one another. Mm -hmm. I think for me, uh, I kind of backed into this relationship thing. Uh, I'm a little older than these guys and a lot of the things that we see on social media, the things that people are discussing now, I lived it. And uh, for me, uh, I really didn't want to talk about it because when you live something, you just, you're not interested too much in, in dialoguing because there's so much hurt and pain. But what happened was we found, Chip and I, uh, we found some common ground and that was serving the community. And we became collaborators. We became people that was committed to doing this and we were working together. Out of that collaboration, a friendship developed. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, I wasn't thinking about anything in the area of reconciliation. This was a guy that was a, a friend of mine, and we were we had the same heart about about the communities. And so things just evolved, mm -hmm. and we became good friends, and uh, we be, began to uh, do life together. And I'll stop it right there because I don't want to get too far ahead of this conversation. But that's how it evolved mm -hmm. for me. Okay. I think we have to be careful because since this conversation now it's coming to the surface and more issues are uh, also coming to the light with uh, ethnic segregation and, and things of that nature. Now people want to get their, their one friend from the different ethnicity. Sure. My token friend. Who's <laughs> different. Not because, you know, what Romero said is true, but then people might take it so literal and say, okay, I can name my one Asian friend, my one African-American friend, mm -hmm. and now I have that checked off the list. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that we are not trying to solve the segregation or the racism issues in this country by our relationship with the, within the four of us. I think that uh, as we were growing into, our, into this relationship, yes, we had this common ground of our love for community, and then it started growing into love for each other, and then we just started noticing 
uh, about the, the the huge divide, and that it, and that and we notice that we have something that we can show a light that we can show the world that relationships amongst different nations and different ethnicities, uh, true relationship can happen. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the funny part about it, is when you uh, fall in love with somebody else, the things that drew you at the beginning, that like, oh, yeah, you know, um, uh, that uh, thing that you do with your hair or the color of your eyes, those things might draw you in and be very uh, distinct at first. But later on, the more you get to know somebody, you, you forget what, what the particulars were. You know, it's, it's funny that the closer you get in, the more you get to know somebody. Uh, you might say, like, well, what did their hair look like today? And you're like, I wasn't paying attention to their hair. I was just actually <laughs> so involved in their story and what they were going through and, and, yeah. sort of, and sort of just being with them that I actually didn't pay attention to what they looked like. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, we start the conversation there like, oh, I don't see race or... Um, that's not important to me. But clearly, what's happening in this country is justice is meted out. And historically, we've been at the been a country where your looks and your class have a lot to do with kind of where you land up as much as we'd like to think we're a meritocracy. So the funny thing is, I think our relationship as sort of the four hermanos has grown to a point that sometimes we forget sort of the work that we've done relationally, intentionally meeting regularly, having tough conversations, and then we'll, we'll find like we get along just great. And then somebody will bring up something that like the, the other three had never thought of or considered. And they were like, what? Tell me more about that. What was that like in the locker room with football players or being booed off, you know, boo- feel like you were discriminated against off the field or even on the field? And then what was that like? Because we thought, you know, being an athlete was just... Amazing, and it's not, and it's. Um, I think that's the funny part is, it, we might look very different on the surface, and then sometimes when we go in, we also forget how, how what what the particulars were. So we have to constantly kind of rediscover our differences. Yeah. Amazing what that you just said that about people making now more an emphasis on your the way you look like. That's when I think it's at the beginning stages of of, of the relationship. My son was telling me yesterday that he was. He has a lot of uh, friends from many different nationalities uh, at, at, at school and a lot of uh, friends from India. And they were talking about race. And so they were talking, okay, this is, this is Asian, you're black, you're white. And to my son, they called him, you're, uh, and the Indian uh, friends, they were calling themselves brown. But then they, t- and they were, they were talking about food and uh, preferences. And then my son didn't have the same preferences as, as the Indian friends had. Mm-hmm. And then they told him, yeah, you're the wrong kind of brown. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, well, so now I'm almost the same. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, we, I think the, co- the conversation on multiculturalism is still pretty new to it everybody. Is. And I think that the deeper we get, I mean, historically in America, it's been white and black. But now that we're starting to, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there's been Latino and, and Asians for, for maybe 100, 150 years in terms of uh, significance. But it's starting to grow more and more clear that we're all estranged from each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say in some immigrant communities with the rate of assimilation and because of the white-black tension not giving attention to the uh, kind of giving us cover for other minorities... We've tried to assimilate and try to fly under the, okay, well, the, there's the big conflicts. So I'm going to leave that alone. And I'm going to, like, 
uh, see if I can climb the ladder or get away with whatever I can with while I can. And I think that's that's been really fascinating because I find that a lot of Asian American communities are rediscovering themselves and finding themselves estranged from others as well. And so mm-hmm. we have the hard work now of saying all of us need to come to the table. Just because you're a minority doesn't mean you speak for minorities. Right. And just because you're a majority doesn't mean you have the same thoughts as you used, as the previous generations did. And so mm-hmm. we're all kind of coming to the table in a new generation, a new perspective. I think it's helpful. So you guys are all very busy people. You live in different parts of the city. Uh, what in practical terms do you do? I don't know about y'all. My life is fragmented. I live here. I work there. Uh-huh. I go to church over here. I shop over there. Yeah. I drive halfway. I drive all the way across the city to have a conversation with you guys. Um, yeah. How? What do you do in practical terms to do life together? Hmm. We, you, we all live in the same house. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a start. <laughs> no. Praise God, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, you know, for for me and Chip. We are serving in the same church, mm-hmm. and uh, when I first met him, I was pastoring at another church, and uh, that was during the time when we were filling each other out. We were just serving together, finding things that we had in common, which wasn't very much. He's a Duke grad. He played tennis. I, I finished from a, a historically black, black college, and I played football, uh, and so we had nothing in common. But what we did have in common was the fact that we cared about our community. And so, as time went on, uh, I discovered that, okay, he went to Duke, but he's all right. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> you don't be forgiven. He had a son. He has a son named Jack, Jack Sweeney. And uh, I fell in love with this little, this little guy and... And his daughter Caroline, who was hard to get to, and uh, so as it turned out, you, you you just start these little relationships start, and it wasn't long before I, I realized that, you know, I don't just like Chip. I think I love this brother based on what Scripture says that we have to do. Scripture gives us a new commandment. That's what pressed me. You know, the word of God always convicts me and <laughs> pushes me in the right direction. I said, well, you know what? I have to love this brother whether I want to or not. And as it turned out. We were doing life together all the time, and the love became genuine, not something that the Bible told me to do. Mm-hmm. So over time, I learned to love this brother and his family, and we are one big family. My children called him Uncle Chip, his children called me Uncle Brian, and I love this brother. Now these other two here, I'm still working on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's, 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 that's dos hermanos, now you've got cuatro. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how, did the, how does it work with the four of you? How do you yeah. do that? So part of it is that we, we work together as part of a movement called Unite, where churches are working together around Atlanta. So we have some interaction through that, but we've gone beyond that to say, you know, we set up, we, we do lunch together every month. We try and connect in different ways that go beyond just talking about community initiatives. Um, and I think we're, we're also uh, digging into each other's story. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot... At least for me, I'll say that there's been times where I've interacted and even become friends with people, whether they're the same skin color of mine or not, but don't really take the time to understand their story Mm -hmm. and uh, to be able to understand and learn some of the pain of their story, the joys and their pain. And I think we're, we're doing some of the hard work to really kind of understand each other's story and live each other's story. 
Yeah, I think that we have been, I think the, the, the word that is probably going to be the common denominator throughout these conversations and all the conversations we have about this issue is intentionality. We are being extremely intentional in getting to know one another, loving what we what we're knowing, mm-hmm. and and I, and I think with you know we've gone deep, but I still we're not, we haven't even gone as deep as I think we can we can go, and we'll get there eventually. But uh, at least we we've, we've learned. Uh, after our monthly lunches, our, our, our conversations, uh, when, when we uh, connect in many different uh, situations, to know that we are four different, completely different personalities. We love each one and, and of those personalities, and, uh, and we want to know more. Yeah. We want to know more. I remember when I first uh, saw David coming into the room I, when, when, I, when I first met him and I just heard him talk. I really wanted to know more about David. And, I have and a soothing voice. You have a soothing voice. You have a like, <laughs> jazz you radio. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get to know me too. <laughs> yes. That was nice. That was nice. <laughs> We can end the, the recording now, <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and Brian, you know, it's it, it's also the same situation, and they have been in in situations in my life when it really counts, mm-hmm. when we've shed tears together, mm. we've got angry together. Mm. You know, so it's not just it's not this is not kumbaya. We've been in the th- in the thin and thick of situations, of life situations, and uh, and that's very important to me. Yeah. And uh, remember when we were in the middle of a, of a in we were in a conference room full of people, at a serious meeting. Uh, we're sharing highs and lows, and I didn't have a high. I only had I only had a low. I was in tears. Brian stopped the meeting, started praying for me. That right there, I was in love with this brother, uh, forever. And for instance, with Chip, I remember we've, we've been, we've traveled together. We've gone out of the country together. We travel around the country together. We've shared hotel rooms together. Wow. We've snored together. Emotional. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. You know, and... Uh, and I know it's true love because I have shared uh, hotel rooms with other people and they have left the room. <laughs> so, and he continues to ask me to be his roommate. And one specific situation, you may not remember our Colorado trip. Uh, he sends me an invitation to go to Colorado for, for a trip. And then I read that communication trail and it says, invite someone you like to hang out with. And that was, I'm like, wow. Little me. You know, that, 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 that touched my heart. Mm-hmm. That touched my heart. So this is more than uh, just a kumbaya with completely different personalities. And uh, the more we learn about each other, uh, we're also learning to love those differences yeah. as well. I think that's the key, though, is that uh, it can't be just bound by geographical convenience. Mm-hmm. Because especially in a city like Atlanta, we're uh, segregated by, uh, I mean, neighborhoods are segregated. So if we were in the same part of town or even working in the same church, our stories uh, wouldn't be, we wouldn't have that sort of dynamic range to our right. stories and mm-hmm. be able to maintain connections with communities that are vastly different. 
And so that our abilities to meet and have conversations that are like, well, we don't deal with this on our side of town is, is always a great point to start the conversation. Right. Hey, what do you guys think of this? Or have you heard this in the news? What do you guys think? And like, we think nothing. What, what are you hearing? And so just to be able to start conversations like, like all right, this is like rocking us and my community. Like, oh, oh, well, we didn't even know about that. We're, and I think that that's really where um, some of the diversity, even though we all live episodic lives, busy lives, to be interrupted by a narrative that is not like your own is pretty crucial to our friendship. Mm-hmm. I think he would admit that he's cynical. This guy, oh, <laughs> David, David is cynical. <laughs> The one with the nice voice, remember me? <laughs> that's his middle name. <laughs> but that's a trait that I love about this brother because he's going to always raise the issue. He's going to always have a slant on something that you, you, didn't, you didn't even think about. And sometimes his slant would challenge you. And, but at the same time, you still love this brother because he's going to always have something on the table that you didn't think about. And so I call him cynical, but uh, it's a trait that that makes us one because we know what we're going to get from this brother when we're talking about stuff. We know we're going to get some real hard truth. Well, it takes the pressure off him so he's not known as the angry black man. We don't have to worry about that time. <laughs> yeah. All right, shifting gears. Uh, the, uh, what does the Bible have to say? Uh, that informs reconciliation, it informs unity in a better way than our culture is doing right now. Yeah, I think one of our uh, one of our passion points is that we uh, we don't want people to see this issue as a political issue. I think through media and through just our culture, it's been painted as a a political issue, a liberal, conservative, but. Honestly, it's a biblical issue. It's a gospel issue. I know there are a number of scriptures could look at. Obviously, John 17, where Jesus prays for oneness. Uh, Paul, in some of his letters, though, I, I think is is powerful in how he talks about unity. In this specific few verses in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, has really stuck out to me. It says, For he himself, that's he is Jesus, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, Mm. thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. And he's he's referencing the incredible hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. Mm. So there's no bigger division than that we have presently uh, that's any bigger than the mm-hmm. divide of the Jews and Gentiles. And he mm-hmm. says, you are one. And so I think coming back to this concept of oneness in Christ, that this is not, again, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical gospel issue where Jesus has broken down every barrier and dividing wall that we uh, set up ourselves between races, ethnicities, whatever it may be, um, that we truly are one. And, uh, and that's why we're so, this is such a, a critical, urgent issue for us because it's the heart of the gospel. And that's the difference between what we are organically doing versus what, you know, others may be doing. You know, this is not a, 
this is not a program yeah. that if it doesn't work, we just go back to the same, you know, to, or find a different thing, a different venue, a different relationship. This is totally based on, on, on scripture, on the gospel. And now for about 12 years, I have lived by an anchor scripture and which is the base, the foundation, not only the way I live my life uh, based uh, in regards to relationships, but also the way we do ministry. And it is Isaiah 66, 18 through 21. And Isaiah 66, 18 says, The time is now to gather all nations and tongues, all nations and languages, and they will come and will see my glory. So not only is that it is, you know, we're praying to be one, oneness, but also what we are doing, it brings honor and brings glory to God. And so this is pleasing to God. When we are getting, uh, going out of our comfort zones and trying to learn about somebody else's life and somebody else's culture, that is pleasing to God. And when you are embracing that, embracing those differences, instead of trying to convert somebody to the way you are, and that is pleasing, that brings God honor, and that brings glory to God. And that's one of the main reasons why you know, I continue in this journey uh, with, these, with these brothers and with the way we do ministry. I, I can, all those scriptures that, that Chef quoted, I mean, I'm in total agreement. But I look at the scripture that's in red. That's Jesus talking. <laughs> Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. That's, you don't, there are no options. That you love one another. By this will they know that you are my disciples. You know, and that's challenging. But the Bible is challenging. And so that challenges me. That keeps me where I need to be. And with these guys now, it's not a challenge anymore. But it challenged me up front. Well, we can make it a challenge. <laughs> I beg to differ, sir. It has been a challenge. <laughs> you know, I'll even go as far to say that, uh, <laughs> that I will lay down my life for these guys, you know. Don't let your wife hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like if I'm going to jump in front of a bullet. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, no. So what, what did you mean? When, yeah, you, 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 when I was going to lay down those preconceived notions that I had about there white boys go. and Hispanic guys and Asian guys and, and all those things that, that I felt that were derogatory that I had built up in my mind and my heart about other ethnicities. Mm. I'm going to die. I, I died to all of that. Amen. Amen. And I'm laid it down. Amen. Well, I think uh, to... to to piggyback on Brian and Chip and and also Tito is uh, when you are trying to love your neighbor, you have to accept them and all their history. Like so, you can't just I can't just love Chip at this point in time. I have to recognize where he's coming from and recognize that his journey and our journey together, trying to be reconciled communities, is not an easy one. That historically, depending on how far back you want to go, we're we're enemies. We're not meant to be friends. There's plenty of bad blood enough to say, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's worth it." Um, and to go to go mm -hmm. back one step beyond um, 
the, the, the scripture that uh, Brian quoted, it's not just to love your neighbor, but Jesus says to love our enemies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and bless them. <laughs> yeah. And bless them. Yeah. And do good for them. And, and, uh, I think when I think when we shared our stories, like it, it matters to uh, us that my father, for instance, uh, was a child of the Korean War, but he was also born during World War II. He was born in Japan, which is, had been a colonizer of Korea. And so he was born in enemy territory. He was even given a tattoo that marked him as not Japanese. And so years mm. later, I mean, I have this. So I grew up with. They're the enemies. They're not trust. They're not trustworthy. We don't like the Japanese, and um, and I grew up with that sort of sort of as like yeah, that's just a reflex. You know, but if I if I ever meet somebody, I'm not. I don't know. I think that they'll come from a morally deficient, uh, sort of more depraved sort of society, right? <laughs> I learned this phrase in college. Uh, a friend of mine was trying to uh, meet some Japanese girls, and he learned a phrase that because I was his roommate. I picked up uh, because it was a playful phrase at the time. It was naze ori o kirai nanda, which means, why do you hate me? Like, why won't you talk to me? Wow. And so I kind of picked that up. I'm like, hey, that sounds pretty cool. Naze ori o kirai nanda. And I'm like, it sounded, make, I looked the parts, so I could pull it off. And I worked at a sushi bar one night and uh, I, was, uh, I was working there for a while. And then this group of, of, of Asians came in and this was when I li- was living in Nashville. And uh, a guy came up to me, he was around my age, but I was the host, I was working the restaurant, so he said, hey, uh, are, you, are you Japanese? And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm Korean-American. And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Japanese-American. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Um, hey, I know a phrase. <laughs> Why do you hate me? And he kind of looked at me funny and his, you know, kind of froze. And his face got sort of kind of lost color. And he said, oh, I don't, I don't hate you, actually. <laughs> Actually, I'd, I'd love to say I'm really sorry for what our people did to your people. And you know, here I am working at the restaurant, so I was like, I don't know if this is appropriate. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for that moment, he saw me and my history and was apologizing for his history. And I think, I mean, this, that was 20-some years ago. I still remember it. That's how profound it was. And I think that for our, our friendship here, too, it's, it's very important that we recognize each other's story and move towards each other, and this sounds crazy, is to take collective responsibility, even though it's not our individual sort of mantle, but it is some, as a representative one, from one ethnic group to another, to be able to say, I'm so sorry, and to be able to come to the table, I think was, is really critical for us wow. as, as friends. I know, Chip, I know you know where I'm going with this. Oh, wow. You know, uh, Chip and I have stood before uh, groups of people and shared our twin story. You know, we're twins from another mother of a different color, but the same Heavenly Father. We shared our story. And oftentimes when the audience is all African-American, Chip, the first time he did it, uh, <laughs> they need to scrape me up off the floor. He told, he apologized to a room full of maybe 40, 50 African-American pastors. And he apologized. And, uh, I think I had something else to do or say after that, but I was I was rendered. I was a mess. Yeah. And uh, he's done it on more than one occasion. And, uh, you know, God leads him to do it at the appropriate time. And every time he does it, it messes me up. Mm. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I love this brother. He's transparent, but he put it out on the table. Yeah, yeah I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I've learned as a white man... 
that my background is very different from each of these guys. And of course, each of our backgrounds is very different. But one of my big learnings is that I don't know what I don't know, or I didn't know what I didn't know. But more than that is that I should have known. And the reason I didn't know was really because I wasn't in relationship, in friendship, with someone of another color that ex- experienced things that I'd never experienced. And I think that's what I, one of the things I apologize for is not uh, being in enough friendships and relationships so that I could have known. So, how do I begin? How does my church begin to start building bridges or crossing divides or forming relation, true, true personal redemptive relationships with folks who aren't in our community? I think that we all kind of live in denial. Uh, I thought before this experience that I was pretty well reconciled. I live in any community I want to live in with whites. It didn't matter. I go wherever I want to go. We, we, we share space together. We go to grocery stores. We go to movies. We, every, anywhere I want to go, I can go. And I'm not hassled. So I feel like that's reconciliation right there. Mm-hmm. What that is is toleration. And I've been living a life of toleration mm-hmm. before reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And what a load that came off once I got to another place of reconciliation. I think one of the first places it starts is what we've just been talking about is the word is really it begins with our heart. I think we as as church leaders and as just followers of Christ, uh, it begins with our own hearts and really beginning to dive into the word of God. Um, and some of these passages we've talked about, and quite honestly, it's all throughout the scripture is but to really let the Lord, work on our heart through his word. So I think it it begins there. And then I think it takes some sep- simple steps of uh, beginning to think about who are the people that I interact with every day where I live, work, and play. And how do we begin to say hello to people and begin to just develop a conversation in the early stages of a friendship? I believe that people have a a filter or a set of uh, of lenses when they see other people, and some see other people from the point of view of uh, their political background. So when they hear Latino, immediately politics come into their minds, and they might be thinking you know, whether Republican or Demo- Democrats and. They might be thinking, oh, Latino, Spanish language, illegal alien. Immediately go politics and issues, polit- political issues. Some see people from the point of view of their upbringing, their background, their prejudices. And, and if, they were, if they grew up in a family you know, uh, where there was racism, and that's how they see people. I was at a, a pastor's conference and we were asked to pray with another brother, another pastor, and I was praying with a white pastor. We are talking about racial reconciliation, and he says, Tito, I want you to pray for me because I was raised in a racist family, and I am 
I am not in the I'm not there yet in the reconciliation phase. Mm. It's a struggle. Mm. So just for him to acknowledge that that was that was yeah. that was powerful. And uh, and then when we bring our upbringing, our, our background, our politics, and then when we come to Jesus, we are also confronted with the Word of God. And what is Jesus, the red letters in this book saying? And now I have to see people the way God sees them, and they're, there's an internal fight inside of all of us, how we see other people. And, uh, and I just can't you know, uh, stop uh, thinking of the of the words of Jesus when, when he was about to be arrested and he says, God, if you can take this cup from me, but may your will be done. I want your will to be done, not my will. So I think it's a, also a choice that we need to make. We need to decide to be intentional in seeing people the way God sees them and not the way my past, my upbringing, my background, my politics tells me to see other people. And we can, make, we can make the decision as an individual, and we can make the decision as a ministry as well, and to start bringing the culture from that, from that point of view. Amen. Tito, can I steal a line? Please. The time is, is now. now. <laughs> so I think if you want to get started in, in understanding the value of relationships as a means for reconciliation, I think that there's no better time than to start now. And there is no lack of information or resources, whether it's on Netflix, you can watch documentaries mm -hmm. about our history, you can start paying attention to uh, the news in a different light. And it's fascinating to me because we know, we, are, we, we, we have heard that there are outlets that are fake news and uh, such, but you know, it's interesting to me that marketers know the segmentations of uh, our society. So different people groups watch completely different channels, shows on TV that we like and dislike. And I think if you just change the channel from what your normal programming might be, you might see a different perspective because marketers know that we think and operate differently. We communally watch different media, listen to different podcasts. And so I think if you were to change your regular programming, you might hear a different point of view. But more than that, and I think what Chip and Brian and Tito were talking about is if you can make a friend across the aisle, that is your best bet, that is your best way of engaging. Here's the thing, um, some people have a, have a hard time initiating that relationship. And they have a greater responsibility in initiating that relationship. And here's what I mean. The people that are the, the people whom for whom power, beauty, and success has been defined, they usually set the table. And for people like me, I'm a person who finds out what the rules of the game and I just try to play the game. But I never change the rules of the game. I may not even question the rules of the game. I just want to play the game really well. But the people who who say like, hey, the rules work for me. And the thing about uh, when we talk about privilege, we're not saying that um, people of privilege don't have problems. They have problems. But the problems that they have aren't usually the same as somebody of a different color or class. So that's all we're, that's all when somebody says, may accuse you of privilege, they're not saying you don't have problems. It's just that you don't have the problems that might be caused by uh, brown skin or um, you know, living in a different part of the neighborhood. So the thing is, is that when you might have privilege, and, and we all have privilege of some sort, whether it's intangible, whether through your education, or perhaps your skin color, or perhaps uh, your upbringing, 
you, you can engage, you actually have a little bit more leverage in starting the conversation and in exploration. Hey, what does this mean to you? Hey, I saw this on the news. What does your family think about this issue? That's where I think the investigative reporting, journalism, blogging, uh, podcasting, this is where it becomes, begins to become a great fuel for reconciliation because most times people of color, people have been on the shadows, people are afraid to speak. But if you ask questions, they'll answer. Yeah. Tremendous influence on my life has been Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. Mm-hmm. And one of the tenets of that is that God is always at work in my circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I just need to pay attention. Yeah. And so I don't have yeah. to go out yeah. looking for someone who's different than me to be a friend with. I need to look around me and there, there. and listen for what God's saying to me about the opportunities He's giving me and just pursue those opportunities that are right in front of me. Chip and I had a meeting recently with a person uh, who is uh, is a DACA recipient, and she said a uh, uh, she said a phrase that really uh, I just, it just stayed in my mind, and I didn't know what that meant. What that meant. She's Latina, I'm Latino, and I don't feel that way. But she says I need people to acknowledge my humanity, and I go, what does that mean? I don't care if you ignore me. Fine, I'm an introvert. Ignore me, please. You know, and uh, so and she kind of wasn't able to articulate it. So I met a uh, immigration attorney, Hispanic as well, and I asked her, "What does that mean? Acknowledging my humanity?" She says, "The best way I can explain it to you is that a lot of people are talking about issues as issues." Mm-hmm. And we don't want you to talk, is, we don't want church yeah. to talk about, when they're talking about people, as if they are issues, a political issue, we want you to feel what they feel. Yeah. We want you to go and care about what's going in their mind and in their heart. They are, this person is not an issue, this person is a person. Mm-hmm. Get to know their name. Get to know their dream. Get to know their fear. And I understood. Acknowledge my humanity. And I believe that that is a huge role of the church. Yes. We should not be talking from the pulpit or from meetings, from the conference room, uh, when we're talking about groups of people as issues, but as people created by God, and get to know those people, and churches, now the, the problem with churches, the church world today is that their congregations are driving 30, 40 miles to get to that church, the church doesn't know their community, get to know their, your community, and get to know their heart, that's a, thing, a good first step. Someone coined the phrase, I forget who it was, how do we reconcile a broken world? One relationship at a time. That's it. That's how you eat an elephant. <laughs> One bite at a time. <laughs> we certainly couldn't leave this on a serious note. <laughs> no. You know what? And that's exactly right. People are afraid to get into this because it's too. It's it's just a hot topic. It's too serious. It's, don't don't take yourself seriously. Don't don't be afraid. Just raise your head, open your eyes, and you'll see people 
and throw yourself and ask permission. Hey, can can I can I make some mistakes with you? <laughs> <laughs> ask some stupid questions. <laughs> make some mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Well, gentlemen, there's nothing more precious than time. I'm deeply, deeply grateful for the gift of your time today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for having us. Blessing. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. In the episode notes on our website, godsrevolution.net, we have linked to Unite, the Atlanta network of 100-plus churches that have set out to help their neighbors experience life the way it ought to be, to see the church united the way it ought to be, and to encourage their city to flourish the way God intended it to. We also have a link to the Good Cities Network page where you can find a list of more than 40 other cities where church networks like Unite are working for the peace and prosperity of the city in which God has placed them. Our hope is that this podcast will help others understand that true justice arises out of personal transformation and that broken souls and communities experience transformation through redemptive personal relationships with God's people. We hope these conversations will help you understand how you can join God in His revolutionary work of restoring justice to our broken world. If you have a heart for issues of kingdom justice, please visit our sister site, multiplyjustice.net, which is a clearinghouse for information about a wide range of justice issues, as well as various types of helpful resources and also contact information for trusted partners who can help you do justice in whatever arena God is calling you to serve. The God's Revolution podcast is a production of the Multiply Justice Network. Look for us on social media at facebook.com slash multiplyjustice and twitter.com slash multijust.